Well, this morning I get the opportunity to uh, talk with you about the last of our series on telling our story. And really this, this series is focused on how do we talk about this thing that has transformed so many of our lives. As we were singing um, worship today, I was just stunned by just how overwhelming uh, those songs were for, for many of us here. Just how they spoke to just our heart of how, how Christ has risen, how he has changed our lives, that we have hope, we have meaning because of him. And so this series of telling our story or telling his story, maybe it'd be a better way to say it, is about talking about what Christ has done in our life. And not just talking about it here at church, but, but getting outside the walls of this church and talking about that with our friends, with our family, with people who we care about, right? Telling our story. And we understand that this is not just a job for pastors to preach about on a Sunday morning, right? In fact, we believe very strong that this is the calling for all of us, that everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, it is our job to tell the story of what Christ has done for us. And so it's a job for all of us. Amen is right. And to kind of simplify this, to kind of make it something we can get our, our mind around a little bit, we've broken it down into three things. The A stands for admit. Admit that we are jacked up, screwed up, messed up people that cannot achieve salvation on our own. There's nothing we can do to earn it or somehow earn the pleasure of God. That's A, admit. B is believe. Believe that Christ is our answer, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and through faith in him we can have life, we can have a relationship with him. And C is confess, saying, God, I confess. I need you. I can't do this on my own. So, so when we talk about it, the ABCs, we've kind of simplified it to that. But let's, let's be honest. Sharing our faith, sharing our story is not that simple. In fact, it can get really complex. It can be really challenging. And sometimes we can make it really weird, right? We can get so formulaic about talking about what Christ has done in our life that it gets fake. It gets weird. It becomes almost like bad pickup lines, you know? <laughs> I got married at 21 years old. I've been with my wife since we were 19. I don't have a ton of like pickup line experience, maybe some high school dances, you know, that's kind of, but, um, but sometimes I think when we talk about our faith, we can, it sounds like these. So like, I got some pickup lines. Maybe you can use these. Hopefully you don't. Uh, but you know, maybe you find somebody you're attracted to and you kind of go, hey, baby, are you tired? Because you have been running through my mind all day long, right? I don't think that would work. Do you? I mean, it's so fake. It's so forced, right? It might get a chuckle, hopefully not a slap, but you know, I mean, uh, but, but maybe, maybe you uh, want to get a good Christian boy or girl, right? I know, Arlene, you've been going to a lot of campus ministry things here. You might want to try out this one. This is a good one, all right? So next time you go to some sort of campus, kind of, you know, you're out of college now, but you know, you meet some guy at a church, you're attracted to him, you can sit down next to him and go, you know... I've been reading my Bible a lot, and I got to the book of Numbers and realized I don't have your number. You know, I try that out. I think it could work. Maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Just a heads up. If you sit in, like, the front two rows, you're bait. Just, just know, sit towards the back. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, these are, they're fake, right? I mean, and if they work, they would probably work just as well if you walked up to somebody and said, hi, my name is Nate, and I'm a real person. Nice to meet you, you know? Like, that would probably be just as effective. And in the same way, when we get too formulaic about sharing our faith, it gets weird. It becomes 
this, this thing that we're trying to get everybody to kind of follow through. And instead, I think what God is calling us to is something so much more natural, so much more honest than that, to say, hey, my name is Nate, and God has changed my life. Let's talk about that. In my time, I've, uh, my title here is Outreach Pastor. And so anytime we're talking about how do we as a church kind of get outside the walls of our church, how do we share our faith, that, that kind of falls into my job description, right? And whenever we're talking about these things, we're brainstorming about it, one thing that comes up a lot is we need more classes. People don't know how to do this, or I don't know how to do this. I would share my faith if I had more information, And I struggle with that a little bit because in my experience, the people I see oftentimes that are the most passionate about sharing their faith are not people with the most, you know, education, not necessarily the people with even long histories of knowing Jesus. It's the people who God has transformed their life. It's new, it's fresh, and they go, I got to tell people about this. I want my friends and family to know about what Jesus has done in my life. And I know from just my own experience, I have a lot of friends, pastor friends of mine, people with seminary education, with all of the tools in their tool belt, so to speak. And you get many of us outside the walls of a church in real conversations with real people, with our neighbors, with the kids, parents that go to our kids' classes, and we get super awkward when it comes to talking about our faith, right? It's a struggle. And what this really is kind of led me to the conviction is so often us talking about our faith is not necessarily an issue of needing more education or some formula to put into play. It's an issue of motivation. It's an issue of obedience. It's an issue of doing it. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is a passage where Paul is encouraging the church of Colossians. And in this passage, he's encouraging them to, to live out this hope that they have, to live out their faith in Jesus with their community. He's also asking for prayer. He says, pray for me, that there will be doors that open, that I can say what I want to say clearly to people, that the good news of the gospel can be communicated rightly as it ought to be. And I think there's a lot we can learn from this as we talk about this. So this morning, I want us to kind of look at this from the perspective to ask this question, how can we tell this awesome story together? Because one of the things I love about this passage is that Paul is not just out doing this all by himself. He is calling the Colossians church. He's saying, be a part of this with me. Support me. Pray for me. Encourage me. And I will pray for you, support you, and encourage you in doing this work also. And we are in this together. And part of us finding that motivation and that encouragement, I think, comes from being part of a community that together is working towards this thing. So the question, how can we tell this awesome story together? If you want to open your Bibles to Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 2, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Colossians 4, uh, verse 2 through 6. So again, this is kind of the end of this book. Paul is kind of wrapping it up, and he gets really practical with this church. He says this. He says, continue steadfast in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And he turns it around to them. He says this, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you ought to answer each person. 
These are powerful words, and I think they're just as relevant and true to us today as they were 2,000 years ago. And so if we're to be uh, together sharing this awesome story, I think the first step is we got to do it together. We need a community, a group of people to do this with us. And so the first point here is get a community to support you and for you to support them. Normally when I think of Paul, I think of somebody incredibly driven, right? Like all we hear about Paul is Paul is so transformed by the gospel. He's so transformed by what Jesus has done in his life. He cannot stop but to tell people about it. And he's telling everybody about it. In fact, he might be one of the most driven people we see in all of church history, one of the most driven Christians we see. And I can imagine trying to talk to Paul just about normal day-to-day conversations. Can you imagine hanging out with Paul? And you're like, hey, Paul, how you doing, man? What do you think of them Niners? He's like, oh, you know what? I've been thinking about them a lot too. I'm like, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, I've been thinking about how do I talk to them about Jesus? You're like, really? Can't we just talk about nothingness? Can't we just hang out? But he was so driven, I would imagine sometimes those would be the way conversations were with him. But in this passage, I, I think we see a little bit different picture of Paul. Maybe uh, somebody who's a bit more like you and I. Somebody who's a bit more vulnerable, who, who struggles in their conversation, who carries with them a certain amount of social anxiety that, that doesn't come supernatural for, them, for him. And so he's asking for prayer, for support. He's saying, pray for me. Pray that I can have opportunities that the door will open for me to talk about these things. That I can have conversations that don't just stay on the surface level, but I can have conversations that dive deep and talk about the things that matter most to me. We spend so much of our time just maybe talking about chariot races or wine tasting in you know, Colossians. I want to talk about stuff that matters. That, that's what I see Paul saying here. And he's saying, on top of that, pray for me that, that I can say the things I should say. That when I'm in conversations with people, I'm not just babbling around. I don't just sound like an idiot. That I can talk about the stuff that matters. I think for Paul, I think this is actually a struggle for him. I think this is a discipline, something that he's working on. And that's why he wants the church to be praying for him. In the book of Ephesians, at the end of that book, he's writing to the Ephesian church. And he says, he says pray that I might fearlessly proclaim Christ. And then he goes on a little bit further. He says, pray that I can fearlessly proclaim him as I should. And if he's asking that they pray that he's fearless, then that means he has fear. And this is a struggle for Paul. And that's pretty natural, right? I mean, Paul suffered a great deal because of him talking about Jesus. He was beaten multiple times. He had giant rocks thrown at him, left for dead. He was ran out of cities. He was falsely arrested. Even in this passage, he says, this is, I'm in prison for this right now. And eventually he gave his life. So it's It's not weird for Paul to have some amount of anxiety over sharing his faith. In the same way for all of us, there is good reason that we have social anxiety, that we have anxiety about talking about our faith with our friends and family, right? It's a struggle. We're going to be perceived different. It's going to be challenging for us. Again, I'm you know, I make my living talking about Jesus, right? You would think that this would come supernatural for me. But I get into conversations with friends of mine outside of this church that are not followers of Jesus. And it's a struggle to bring up Christ sometimes. 
I've got this one friend, and it's almost awkward how often he has to bring up spiritual things in our relationship because I always am self-conscious about it. I'm always like, I don't want to bring it up again. I don't want him to think I'm just always pushing the Jesus card, right? And so he over and over is the one who brings it up because I'm not comfortable enough sometimes to talk about it unless he brings it up. Last week, if you came here, you saw we had the panel of people, right? And the panel talked about this was a struggle for all of us. You know, for some of us, it's just, hey, I, we don't talk about deep things with my friends. We just talk about surface stuff. How, how do you talk about stuff that matters? Or I'm afraid if I start talking about this stuff, I'll be perceived as judgmental and hateful, and people will, will look down on me because of that. Or in first service, one of the, the panelists said, you know, my friends are all academics. We're, we're scientists. We've all kind of made up our mind on the world. I feel like if I talk about my faith, it'll, it, it, it'll be weird. And these, I think, are, are realistic struggles. And, and I think this is all the more reason that we need a community around us encouraging us. That we need people in our lives that are supporting us saying, have these conversations. I'll be praying for you. And what we see here is Paul is actually, he's not just kind of passively hoping to get this kind of community in his life. He's asking them for it. He's saying, do me a favor. I need you to be praying for me and pray specifically for these things. And let me encourage you specifically with some things. So what would it look like if we took kind of our, our network of Christian relationships and we actually activated them to become a community that really pushed us, encouraged us, and prayed for us? If you're involved in a small group, that's probably a great place to start. What if your small group became a small group that held each other accountable for these things, that encouraged each other, that said, hey, I want to be praying for you and for your friends that you can have the conversations as you should. How can I be praying for you? How can I be encouraging you? If you're not in a small group, that's okay, because there's, I'm sure all of us have these kind of relationships in our life. Maybe it's friends, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's our spouse, maybe it's uh, even our parent or a child or a brother or sister. What would it look like if we went to that person and said, or those people and said, hey, can you be praying for me in these areas? Can you encourage me? Can you hold me accountable? And I, I'd like to do the same for you. I think it would change the dynamic of that relationship, but I think it would be beautiful. I think it would be healthy. I think it would, it would motivate us to, to follow Jesus more fully in our lives. So what would this look like? And I, I think a kind of a sub point under here is make sure your community is praying for you to tell the story and you are praying for them. See, prayer is crucial to this, that we are asking God to do God's work. So it's not something we can just manipulate on our own. As Paul is going from church to church, he goes on all the letters that we see in the Bible. He's saying, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Can you be praying for me? He realized the importance of prayer. And in this passage, he specifically reminds us that we are to pray, that we are to, um, it says that we are to be steadfast in our prayer and to be watchful in thanksgiving. So be diligent, be committed to prayer, and be watchful, be waiting to see how God works in our life. Um, I'm not a very patient person, right? I tend to get distracted relatively easy. And have you ever been out like star watching on like a meteor shower where there's lots of falling stars, a lot of shooting stars? And I feel like, and I've done that a couple of times and I'm always like laying there, I'm looking, oh, I can't really look up here, but I'm looking up at the lights, at the stars. And I'll get distracted after a couple of minutes, right? And I'll kind of start looking down or kind of looking off at the horizon. And then somebody goes, whoa, did you see that? And I shoot my head up to the sky, right? And I missed it, you know? And 
So I'm staring for like a minute, and I get distracted, and a couple minutes later, someone goes, whoa, did you see that? I'm like, ah, dang it, I missed it again. And sometimes I can be that way in my prayer life too, right? People go, hey, can you be praying for me? I go, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I pray for them diligently once or twice, and then I get distracted. Life goes on. Or I'm praying for them, and I kind of forget that I prayed for them. And God answers that prayer, and, and I'm not watchful in my thanksgiving. I don't look at that and go, wow, that's awesome. We, uh, I've been involved in a small group for about the last year, and we've been, um, we've been praying for kind of a mutual friend of ours that he comes to know Jesus. And last winter time, he came to trust Jesus. And it was awesome because we'd been diligently praying for this guy. And fortunately, our group was not me, but the rest of our group had been watchful enough to, to be thankful and to be overwhelmed with what God had done. And I remember I was able to talk to this guy afterwards. I go, you know what's really cool? is our small group has actually been praying for you for months. He's like, that's really weird. It's kind of weird, right? But the, the point is, dude, we've been praying for you that, that what happened in your life was not just because somebody convinced you about Jesus, it was because God himself touched your life. And we were praying for God to do that in your life. And so we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for our friends, for our community because this is essential to our life. This is part of the very mystery of God's salvation that Paul is talking about. It's not something that we can manipulate on our own. So I guess maybe a question we should all be asking is, who's praying for us and who are we praying for? And, and not just praying. It's important to have people praying for your health and maybe your ingrown toenail or whatever your list of prayer requests are. But do you have people who are actually praying for you that you have opportunities to talk about Jesus? People who are praying for you that when you have opportunities that you can talk about it clearly, that know your friends, that are praying for your friends too. I think it'd be beautiful if we became parts of communities that were encouraging each other, that were, that were moving in this way. But Paul, he's not just good with just kind of a passive, hey, I'll be praying for you and just kind of leaving it that, right? He turns this around on us, on the church and says, okay, remember this. I want to encourage you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. In other words, be diligent in your conversations with people. Be thinking about the conversations you're having. When you have these conversations, when you're talking with people, make sure they're filled with grace, that they're seasoned with salt so that you can help people come to the answers they need in me, in Jesus. And he, he is very pushing on them to do these things. He's saying, go for it. You can do this. And I think we need people in our life pushing us. Sometimes we can get into this mindset again that, that yeah, that's great for some people, but not for me. And we can just go on with life and life gets busy and we need people who come into our life and say, hey, how are you, are you having conversations with people at work? Can I, I'm praying for these things. How's that going? When you talk to people, are you being gracious? Are you being, are you being loving? Are you demonstrating the grace of God? Are you being interesting? Are you being seasoned with salt and encouraging us, holding us accountable on that. We all need that in our life. Some, it's so often easy, I think, for us to kind of 
get into our little Christian worlds, right? We start going to all these Christian activities. And if you went to like half of the things that we do here at Bridges, you would just, your calendar would be filled up, right? So we get all of our little Christian activities going and we get all of our Christian friends. And maybe we even start listening to Christian radio. That way we really round out the whole Christian world. And we forget sometimes that God has called us to get outside of our little Christian castles and to proclaim him to our community, to our friends, to our family. And we need to have people, sometimes that are within our castle saying, get out, <laughs> let's go have those conversations. So specifically, let's look at what Paul does encourage us to do. His first thing, he says, make sure that your speech is filled with grace or that your speech is gracious. Now, sometimes we use the idea of gracious just to mean like kind, not being a jerk, you know, being sympathetic to people. And I think it, it's that, but I think it goes far beyond that. Having conversations filled with grace is seeking the very grace of God, the grace of God that looked at me while I was still a sinner, while I was still doing terrible, evil stuff, while I was in direct rebellion against him. He said, I love you and I'm calling you to be my child. That's the grace this is talking about. And I think if we start looking at each other with that grace, it gets really challenging to be pompous and arrogant, isn't it? If we are honestly applying that grace to our life, to be proud, to think we have it all together, we, we embrace each other with these conversations that are filled with grace. And he goes on, he says also, that your conversations be seasoned with salt. At some level, I think this is pretty straightforward for us, right? We kind of get what it means to be be uh, to eat food without flavoring, you know, and so the idea that, that we should be flavorful, we should be enjoyable people to be around, that we, should be, we shouldn't be jerks, right? We should be the kind of people that people want to invite over to parties at their house. And that, that almost be, you almost see that as like a spiritual discipline in here. Now, again, the point of that is not just so that Christians are likable people, although I think that is important. If we're following Christ, I think we are to be people who are seasoned with salt. But the point here is that so that you can answer questions as you ought. In other words, be the kind of people that foster relationships, foster communication, foster dialogue, so that people can come to the very deep questions that are pondering deep in their soul that they want to know. They're looking for answers. And if we are pushed off, if we're jerks, if we're arrogant, we shut that conversation off, right? And when we open that up, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's all the more reason that we can't just have formulaic approaches. We can't just say, okay, I know all these questions that could be answered, and here's my 22 answers to those questions. The other day, I was uh, hanging out with some people, and there was this guy who I know um, is kind of antagonistic to the Christian faith. And we were going to have this dialogue, and, and we had kind of been planning this. And I was expecting that we were going to sit down and we were going to talk um, really about how kind of Christian, Christianity and Hinduism and kind of like Western imperialism, based on some other conversations we had, I, I kind of thought that's where the, the conversation was going to go. And if I would have just had my formula, I think I would have missed the real conversation that needed to happen. But instead, we started talking about just how he was, and we had a real conversation, like real people. And what came out was he was struggling, that he was lonely, that he felt abandoned by God, that he felt betrayed by his Hindu faith, and he felt like there wasn't answers for him in Christianity. And we had a meaningful dialogue about that. And I think that that part of telling our story is being people who are gracious, 
who are seasoned with salt and willing to engage in those conversations. But I think those conversations are challenging to have because when we're talking with people who are antagonistic to our faith or who doubt our faith, it can get very difficult to get defensive, right? If I'm telling you about something so personal, so intimate as my relationship with Jesus, and you say, that's BS, I get my guard up a bit. Who are you talking about? And then I, I get defensive and argumentative. Right, And I think that's where having a community around us that's encouraging us, that's pushing on us, saying, no, remember, be gracious. Make the use of your time. Have those conversations. Even when they're hard to have those conversations, have them. Don't let time pass you by. We need those people in our life to encourage us. Another thing I see in this this text is this sense of urgency. And I think we need to be communities that, that cultivate an attitude of urgency. Time is an important piece here. Paul says, make the best use of your time. The the direct translation is buy up time. Don't let time just kind of fly past you and just let it kind of roll through your timeline without using it. Invest in that time. Make the best use of those conversations. Talk about things that matter. As Christians, we live our lives understanding that Christ could come back at any moment, right? And we want our friends and family to experience the joy of knowing him. But even if Christ doesn't come back for a thousand years, wouldn't we want our friends and family to experience the great joy, the overwhelming hope that many of us have experienced? Wouldn't we want them to experience it now? And I think that drives a sense of urgency to to have that conversation now, right now. I've got a daughter who's two years old. And uh, we pushed really hard to get her potty trained so we could get her over here to this daycare, right? And she's done it. She's pretty much potty trained. We're super proud of her. But when she says, I have to go potty right now, there is a sense of urgency, right? Anything we do, there's always a sense of urgency in our house. We are ready to pull the car over at any moment's notice. We are totally focused on her needs at this stage of our life. Uh, the other day, though, yesterday, we were at the, the zoo, and we were watching, like, the monkeys or something like that. And we'd kind of forgotten this sense of urgency that we had. So we're checking out the monkeys, and they're super cool. And pretty soon I realize Isabel's not right by my feet. And I look over, and I see the sidewalk, and there's, like, a crowd of people parting around my two-year-old, pants around her ankles like this, marking her territory like a, like a you know, bobcat or something, and it was like, oh, no. And we run over to her. She's like, Dad, I'm not done yet. I'm like, you are done. Let's go. <laughs> right? And the reality of it is we forgot that sense of urgency. You get what I'm saying? And I think sometimes we forget that sense of urgency with our faith, too. And I think that's why when people first come to Christ, they're so overwhelmed with what Jesus has done in their life, they feel that urgency. They want to talk about it, but we get distracted. Life goes on. Life gets busy. We've got work. We've got families. We've got all these other things in our world, and we can forget that sense of urgency. Paul here, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, and that's a weird term to me. That's not a term I I tend to use a lot because it feels very exclusive, right? We're the insiders. You're the outsiders, Yet I was thinking about that in terms of when this passage was written. Here, it's written to a church, the Colossians church, who's this small minority group in the city of Colossia, who are 
abused, they're marginalized, they're scared, they're hiding out in their houses. And so when they're talking about outsiders, they're not talking about these lowly people out there. What they're talking about is those people that you care about who have yet to experience the joy of relationship with Jesus. Don't you want them to experience that? Be wise at how you spend your time with them. Don't let time waste. There's a sense of urgency here that we want our friends and family to experience this. It's not about building up this church. It's not about building some sort of club. It's about us when we sing, we sing hallelujah. What would it look like if we lived that life authentically outside of the walls of this church and we said that? What would that conversation look like with our friends and family? The last point I want to draw out here is, is this. Remember that this is an ought, not an option. And here's what I mean by that. Twice in this, this short little passage, Paul says the word ought. First, he says, pray that, that God will open the doors of opportunity that can share the mystery of Christ, and that I can make it clear as I ought. In other words, he's saying that there is an expectation, there is a, 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 a job that I have to do here, that God has called me to do, and pray that I can do it in the way I should, the way I ought to. Then he turns it around to them and he says, all right, you guys, walk in wisdom, do this, um, be gracious, season with salt, so that you can answer questions as you ought. And what I see here is this isn't just some sort of optional thing for us to kind of put on our agenda of good ideas that we could maybe do as a Christian. This is foundational to who we are. This is what God has called us to do. Now, I don't want us to get this wrong, that we don't follow God out of some sense of like duty or obligation. It's not like we're following up there and we think somehow we're going to win his approval and somehow earn his favor. No, he's already given us his favor. He's already given us his love. He's graciously poured out his life for us. But that doesn't mean that there are not duties in our Christian faith, right? We have a duty to love each other as ourselves. We have a duty to pursue Christ with our whole lives. And I believe this passage reminds us that we have a duty to share Christ in our relationships, in our speech, in our conversations with each other. So this morning, I hope we didn't come away with more like strategy or kind of a point A, B, C, D of to-dos. I hope we came away with some encouragement saying, okay, we can do this. This is what God has called us to do. Let's, let's do this. We're reminded that Jesus has changed our life. We're reminded of, of what he's done in us and wanting to share that with others. And so I, I, I hope that we're at a place now where we say, let's do this. Let's get started. And I, I think the first place for us all to get started is to activate our Christian community in our life, to say, be praying for me, be encouraging me, be pushing on me. I need you in my life to help me with this. And I promise to be in your life helping you. As I close, I want to pray kind of through this verse with us, and I pray that God moves us and challenges us in this way. So if we can pray together, I'm going to pray this verse with us. God, we just pray that you teach us to be steadfast in our prayer, that our prayers can be solid, that they can be diligent, that we don't just wash back and forth, but that we are, we are committed to prayer. God, I pray to you that we are watchful in our thanksgiving, that we see the work you are doing in our lives and we give you thanks for it, that we praise you, that we worship you when you answer our prayers. 
God, I pray that you open the doors for us to have spiritual, important conversations with our friends, our families, our coworkers. I pray that, that there are opportunities for all of us to talk about you and talk about you in a way that's personal and real, that speaks to what you've done in our life. God, I pray that as we talk about these things, that we are able to be clear, that, that the message of you is communicated, not just our own, um, our own words, but it really is your word that comes out of our lives, that we can be clear as we ought to. God, I pray that we are wise in the way that we walk towards outsiders, that, that we do make the best use of time, that we're not wasting time talking about stuff that doesn't matter, but instead that we are using these conversations to point to you, that, that point to how much we are overwhelmed with what you've done for us. God, teach us to be gracious in our conversations. Teach us to be humble. Teach us to be loving. Let your grace, your forgiveness, your love pour out in our lives. God, also teach us to be people who are filled with salt, people who can speak in conversations that are enjoyable, that are engaging, that again point to you. And in all these things, God, we pray that that we can answer questions as we ought, that questions that speak to who you are and your plan in our world and your plan for our friends and our families and our coworkers. God, teach us to serve you and to be obedient to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.